Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we do thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that your love uh, in Jesus Christ has indeed touched us. You have touched uh, sinful, sinful people like us and you have made us new and you have set us free. And we thank you for this. So Lord, today as we open your word, as we look at... Um, uh, the truth of Isaiah chapter 6. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would uh, gain uh, a sense of the holiness and the majesty of the triune God, the awesomeness of God, uh, but also, Lord, that we would grasp and understand the awesomeness of your grace, which is given to cleanse us of all of our sins. So, Lord Jesus, give us your Holy Spirit now. Touch our hearts, touch our minds. Teach us your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in an awesome world. This uh, world that we live in is just an, it's an awesome creation. And what is the most awesome thing that you have seen in creation? Uh, think about that for a minute. The, 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 just the most awesome sight that you've ever seen. Uh, maybe you have been to the Grand Canyon. I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon and looking at that canyon, it, it didn't look real. It didn't look real. It almost looked like there was, there was a painting there, but yet I knew it, it was real uh, because it's so vast and it's, it's so big. Um, anybody here been to Niagara Falls? Uh, I have a couple of people here who have been to Niagara Falls. Uh, going to Niagara Falls was a regular part of, of life, living in, in, uh, in western New York. Anytime people came to visit for the first time, we'd always take them to uh, Niagara Falls. And if you've been on the Maid of the Mist, which is the boat that takes you into the, the, where the falls are uh, directly there, that is where you really experience the awesomeness of all of this water falling over uh, from Lake Erie into Lake Ontario through the Niagara River. Mountain vistas. Anybody here enjoy hiking? Hike up to, to just a, a spectacular uh, place. Uh, there's a place I really want to go, but I have to lose a lot of weight before I get there. Um, and it's not even Mount Rainier. It's uh, Mount Pew. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever been there before, uh, but that's, one of, that's on my, like, my bucket list to, to climb up there and just to see the, uh, the amazing vista. And I've been to other, on top of other mountains here in the Cascades, too, and just seeing the beauty of what is up there and what you can see from such a lofty place. Uh, creation is awesome. The total eclipse of the sun. Anybody here seen the total eclipse of the sun? Uh, we went to Kentucky during the last eclipse. And uh, driving down to Kentucky, we were in the area of, of total um, uh, solar eclipse. And that really is, is an amazing, awesome uh, sight. Uh, to actually go from uh, complete daylight to dark where you can see the stars in the middle of the day and you can actually look at the sun and you see a, the black um, uh, what would be the moon right in front of the sun when I think about it probably the most awesome thing that I've seen and I probably didn't realize it at the time was the Hale-Bopp Comet how many of you remember that 1997 didn't realize that thing only comes around once every 2300 years or so and to see a comet so bright in my lifetime what an amazing uh, experience. I remember being with some buddies in eastern Washington out in, in uh, just uh, perfectly clear skies uh, away from, from any uh, city or any light pollution and seeing uh, just the, 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 the awesome expanse of outer space and then to see that, 
that comet uh, back in 1997. Our God is awesome. When we think about this world that we live in and, and how amazing it is and how mind-blowing the universe is, and then to think of God. God is the creator. He is the creator of, of this world. And when we begin to understand the awesomeness of creation, how vast creation is, then and only then do we begin to scratch the surface of how awesome God is because he is much more awesome than creation because he spoke creation into existence with the word of his mouth. He spoke and it came to be. How awesome is God? Isaiah saw God. We don't know how he saw God, if it was a vision or if it was a dream. It must have been something like that because scripture tells us that we that really we would not survive the awesomeness of God if we were actually in his presence. We, he lives in an unapproachable light. But somehow Isaiah saw God in all of his glory and in all of his majesty. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting Upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, these angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah came face to face with the awesomeness of God Almighty. In his vision of the sanctuary throne room, Isaiah witnessed the holiness of God, Utter and awesome holiness. Seraphim, these high-ranking uh, angels, each had six wings. And even these, these holy angels covered their faces and, and they covered their feet in the presence of God Almighty. These holy angelic beings understood their unworthiness in the presence of God. Other seraphim flew, singing, singing to one another an antiphon. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Not only did Isaiah see the Lord sitting upon a throne with singing seraphim, it says, Isaiah's witness says that the very foundations of the threshold of the temple shook at his voice. So when God spoke, it shook the foundations of this heavenly throne room. Awesome. And mighty power. It was in this vision 
And this experience, through this gift that Isaiah understood, he understood who he really was. He came to an understanding of who he was in the presence of God Almighty. Isaiah understood that God is not a man, nor is he like the, the, the idols that were crafted by brilliant craftsmen of his day. Isaiah came to understand the realization of the absolute holiness of God Almighty. How does Isaiah respond? He says, woe to me. Woe to me, for I am ruined, or I am lost. So I ask this question today. Have we lost a sense? Have we lost a sense of the holiness of God Almighty? Have we failed to recognize to recognize the magnitude of who God is and who we are. Have we forgotten that God is far above us? Have we forgotten that humans cannot survive in the unapproachable light of, of God's glory and holiness? I believe that we have. We have failed to recognize and we continually fail to remember the sheer and awesome holiness of God. We have set ourselves up to be God. Sometimes we even attempt to, to judge God in his actions and in his ways of dealing with us. Or we have attempted to tame God to make him less wrathful maybe maybe to tame him in such a way that he he doesn't have as sharp of edges as that we read about him in the bible maybe to make him a little more docile so that we can bring him into our lives like a pet on a leash we don't like his ways of dealing with his creation in the old testament and for that matter even sometimes in the new testament in our day and age, we don't want a harsh God. We don't want a God that brings judgment and sets up standards, do we? Not in this culture. This culture prefers a tame God. A God that is made in our image and in our likeness and that fits into our way of thinking about things and dealing with things in life. The whole issue of humanity's fall into sin is an issue of questioning God, right? Go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell into sin. There they questioned God. Did God really say? Did God really say? That was the question that entered into their minds through the enemy. Did God really say? Did God really mean what he commanded? Did God really mean that his judgment day would be, would be that hot, terrible, and frightening. We have failed to recognize the absolute awesomeness of God Almighty. The situation in Isaiah's day wasn't much different from our situation today. 
here in North America. Uh, we face many of the same issues that, that the people of Israel and, and of Judah faced in the day that Isaiah preached. Listen to what one commentator says about the time in which Isaiah prophesied. This commentator writes, during the reign of Uzziah, also called uh, Azariah, if you go into Kings, and his son Jotham, Judah extended her boundaries to their ancestral frontiers. Commerce and agriculture flourished. This was a time of great wealth for the people of Jerusalem and, and Judah. And that age actually created a sense of national pride. It was a time of prosperity and it was a time of peace. Now I wouldn't say that we live in an age of peace, but we, we do live in a, in a very prosperous nation. We live in a nation with great wealth. And I believe that it's our trust in prosperity that blinds us from recognizing the awesomeness of God. You see, the more that we have in our lives, the greater risk there is for us to fail to recognize who God is and how awesome He is and how much we truly need Him in our daily lives. You see, we, we believe that if we have enough, we're all right. Watch people talk with piety about God. Watch them talk with piety about God. But watch them again when money's on the line and observe which fire in their eyes burns brighter. Does their fire for God or for money burn brighter? And I must ad admit that I too am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And too often I'm concerned for and preoccupied with material things. I must admit that I'm even judgmental towards other people. I see a person in front of me in, in line at the grocery store and I begin to judge them. I begin to judge them. I say, well, the reason they're in that situation is because of the foolish choices that they've made in life. And I don't even know the person. I don't even know who they are. I don't even know what they've been through. And here I am making judgments about somebody because I don't even know if they are, but in my mind it seems as if they're poor. Instead I should be praying for them. Instead I should attempt to say, hi, introduce myself. Be the man that God has called me to be. But who am I? Who am I? I'm no better. I'm no better than anybody. I'm no better even than the man that they found in the vacant lot this morning with the needle in his arm dead. No better. We are proud and a judgmental people. And it's the God of prosperity, this false God of prosperity, that has caused us to lose sight of the awesomeness of God because we have wealth, and we believe with that wealth comes power. So Isaiah 
receive the word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 22. We read this, and if you could turn there in your Bibles today, if you brought your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 22. This fits us. This is us. This is North American culture. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses. And there's no end to the chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, hide in the dust, from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Just think of that. This world that we live in, this country that we live in, all that we place our pride in, there is coming a day where it will be brought low. You know how low it will be brought? It will be brought to ashes. That's how low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the lifted, uplifted hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when the Lord alone will be exalted. And the idol shall utterly pass away. And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will, that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold which they have made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath for of what account? For of what account is he? Isaiah was right. Isaiah got it. He understood. Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Interesting, 
It doesn't seem that God was concerned about Isaiah's self-esteem. God didn't go over to Isaiah and pat him on the shoulder and say, oh no, don't be afraid of me. God didn't do that. He didn't do that. God didn't give Isaiah a self-help book. Say, go read this, Isaiah. Read this so that you can become the best you that you possibly can become. God didn't do that. You see, we need to feel our unworthiness. If holy, high-ranking angels understood their unworthiness in the presence of God Almighty, if they understood that that he dwelt in unapproachable light, how much more do we need to come to the same realization in our lives of the holiness and of the majesty and of the power and of the might of God Almighty? Others within the scriptures came to this understanding of God's holiness too. The Israelites came to this understanding in the wilderness. Immediately after God gave Moses the commandments, this is what happened. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. Right after the commandments were given. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning... And the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you. That you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near. He drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And even after this, even after the Israelites had had been through all of these things, they still sinned. They still rejected God. The early church experienced it. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Remember those two characters in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about the property they sold and the offering they had made to the church. In Acts 5, God struck both Ananias and Sapphira dead because they had lied to God. In Acts chapter 5, verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church, And upon all who heard of these things. And this great fear that came upon the church was not noted as a bad thing. It was not considered a bad thing for great fear to come upon the church. A Lutheran pastor I know in Buffalo was sent by the synod to close a church. One of the couples from the church didn't want the church to close, so they told the pastor, over our dead bodies, you're not closing this church. Within days, they were both dead, killed in a car wreck, and the church closed its doors. So what hope? What hope do we have? 
What hope do we have in a universe under the authority of such an awesome and mighty God? What hope is there for us? Is there any hope for us? Do we stand a chance with God? Do we stand a chance in his presence? Well, we don't have any hope and we don't stand a chance in the presence of God unless he himself provides us with a means of salvation from our sinfulness. That's the only hope we have. Is if God himself makes provision for us. It's the only hope we have. And this is exactly what God did for Isaiah. And this is exactly what God has done for you. He has made a means of provision for you and for your salvation. This is exactly what God did for Isaiah. This is what he has done for us. This is what he has done for the world. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, or a live coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. A hot coal, a burning coal, a live coal touches Isaiah's lips and becomes for him a means of grace, a means of atonement, a means of the forgiveness of sins. What an unusual means of grace, an ordinary lump of live coal becomes a means of atonement for Isaiah. But what is this? What is this? This is the holy touching the unholy. And by the holy touching the unholy, guilt is removed. Sin is atoned for. This is what has happened to us. This is what has happened to you. Through Jesus, Jesus has touched you. The Holy One of Israel, the Son of the living God, the Holy One has touched you. And because he has touched you, your guilt has been removed. Your sin is atoned for. This is the good news of the gospel. It's interesting that a live coal was taken from the altar What is the altar? Well, the altar is the place of sacrifice. The place of sacrifice. It has always been at the place of holy sacrifice that a righteous and holy God reaches across the divide between himself and sinful man to impart salvation. This is how God works. A holy sacrifice. A holy sacrifice has been made for you. Jesus is your live coal. Today he is your live coal. He has touched you. He has made you holy. Coal is mostly carbon. Humans are over 99% carbon. 
God became a man in the holy person of Jesus Christ. God became a human being. The holy took on flesh. He dwelt among us. He was made flesh to die upon the cross for our forgiveness. Jesus is your living coal. He has touched your lips. He has made atonement from you, for you. Your guilt is removed. Isn't that amazing? When God looks at you, he doesn't see the shame that you feel. How many of you, if you could hit the rewind button, would go back? And you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. We can't do that. But God has made you holy. He has made you holy through his son, Jesus Christ. And when he sees you, he doesn't see your sin. The Bible actually teaches us that he sees, when he looks at you, he sees the very righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. That's what God sees when he sees you. Our God is good. He, was, he has touched you. He has made you holy. He has removed your guilt. He has atoned for your sin. And now you are free. Do you know the verse? Whom the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. You're free. You've been liberated by our righteous and holy God. Listen to this. Look at what happened after Isaiah's guilt was removed and his sin was atoned for. There's a complete trans transformation that takes place here. Isaiah 6, 8. And Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? He said, Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go for you. I'll be your preacher. I'll tell the world. What a transformation. The atoning touch of God transformed Isaiah. Isaiah became a new man. Isaiah became a willing servant of God Almighty. And he did serve God. He served God with all of his heart. Isaiah spoke of God's coming judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah comforted with words of God's mercy centering upon the suffering servant Jesus Christ who took away the sin of the world by his atoning death on the cross. You see, when unholy people come into contact with the holy God, where there's repentance and faith, there's a transformation that takes part, that takes place. This transformation took place in Isaiah's life. Did you know that God, in his awesomeness, his power, his might, is not only made known in the terror of his judgment, there it's made known, yes. His awesomeness and his might is made known in the terror of his judgment. 
but his awesomeness is also made known in his grace and in his mercy for sinful people like you and I. God is awesome. He is awesome in his loving kindness and his grace and in his mercy, which is for you. It's for you today. How awesome is God's grace? Philip Yancey in his book on prayer answered the letter of a struggling young man. Here's a young man struggling with sin, struggling daily with sin. He can't can't stop sinning. He acknowledged, woe is me, for I'm sinful. The young man wrote to Yancey saying, suppose my question is, what is the heavenly reward for us For us who are not laboring in God's fields and in the inner inner city or who struggle daily with pornography where a major breakthrough is a day not on the internet or who at the height of our recovery may have maybe 10% of the moral character of the average unbeliever. Then he asks this, does anyone have to be a healthy Christian, or does one have to be a healthy Christian, a healthy Christian servant to receive God's grace? Did you, get, did you get the question? Does one have to be a healthy Christian servant to receive God's grace? Do you have to be a healthy Christian servant to receive his grace and his mercy? None of us are healthy Christian servants. We're no different than Isaiah. We're no different than the kid that wrote to Philip Yancey. All we can say is, woe is me, for I am ruined. I am ruined. It's the unhealthy who are chosen by God to be his servants. Are you here today wondering and feeling and sensing that maybe you're not, you're not quite good enough? You're the perfect candidate for God's grace and to be used by God. You see, it's those who will not recognize their guilt that have no part in the forgiveness of Jesus. Their self-righteousness is all they have. And that's all they'll have before the throne room of, of God on judgment day. God provides grace only for unhealthy sinners like Isaiah and the young man who wrote to Philip Yancey and to you and I. Remember that Jesus was never very close to the self-righteous. If you've ever read through the Gospels before, that will come to light. He was never very close with those who were self-righteous Pharisees. But you couldn't separate him from sinners. You couldn't separate Jesus from from the prostitutes, from the tax collectors, from the notorious sinners. Jesus even gained a reputation of participating in their behavior because he was so closely associated with them. God chooses humble sinners. Humble sinners are his instruments of service to our world. God chooses humble sinners as his preachers. God chooses humble sinners as his missionaries. God chooses humble sinners as his witnesses. John Piper writes this in his book, We Are Not Professionals. Brothers, we are not professionals. 
He says the difference between Uncle Sam in recruiting young men and women to serve in the military in Jesus Christ is that this, Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you are healthy and Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. What is God looking for in this world? What is he looking for? Is he looking for assistance? No. The gospel is not a help wanted ad. It is a help available ad. Available to you and for you. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who will let him work mightily in and through them. That's what God is looking for. And by his grace at work in you, you too can know that you are freed. You have been set free. You have been set free to be used as his servant in all the various ways, in all the various capacities where there is service needed. He has called you and he has chosen you and he has liberated you to be his servant. And it's not for your benefit. It's not to impress God, right? Your service as a forgiven and liberated servant is for the benefit of your neighbor. Look at those you're sitting with today and as you leave today and as you go out today and do whatever you're going to do today, look around you. They are the reason for which you have been liberated. It's for them. It's for them. What we do in here is for each other and it's for the world. God is awesome. His awesomeness is overwhelming, even deadly, but his grace is equally as awesome. And his grace is for you today. It is for you today. Believe the good news of salvation through your Savior, Jesus Christ. Be liberated. Be a servant of his. Amen.